amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Okay, music playing. Now push it. Who's four seven up? One time. The war. Yeah. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat. One stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as sun did pure. Like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151. One sip, I'll make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence. Who I'm gon' body, this hood politics, acknowledge it. Leave bodies chopped up in garbage. Seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. One knee, I duck, could it be my time is up? With my love, I got up. The cops shot again. Bust stop glass burst. A fiend drops a Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood. I'm a rat to the death of it. So everybody come on. Little niggas is grown. Look rest. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase. The street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience. Leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die. With nines out. This is what nines is about. All I need is one blunt, one page, and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots with twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six winners to you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never get shot up. Bullets tear through the innocent. Nothing to spare. Niggas roll up. Shooting from wheelchairs. My heart is racing. Tasting revenge in the air I let this shit slide for too many years Too many times now I'm strapped with a couple of max Too many nines If y'all niggas really with me Get busy, load up the semis Do more than just hold it Explode the clip until you empty There's nothing in our way They bust, we bust They rush, we bust Let's fly and feel it I feel it in my gut That we take these bitches to war Lie them down Cause we stronger now My nigga, the time is now I need one mic Get out all power to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. It's your brother, National Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Independence Black Talk Radio, coming again Tuesday.
you know, there again, I started off, like I say always, brothers and sisters, this is your program, an opportunity to express your comments, opinions, critiques, criticisms, concerns, anything. We love hearing from you. This is your opportunity to speak with us. Um, but before I get into anything, you know, we all been, I hope a lot of us have been watching the news or aware of what's going on in Houston with the African people there, our brothers and sisters in Houston going through this flood. So I just want to take time to give a moment of quiet reflection, prayer, and and thoughts. That being said, we definitely, I, I listen, our prayers, our sincerest wishes of, you know, well-being goes out to the brothers and sisters off in Houston in that flood area. It is a catastrophe. It's a disaster of the highest proportion. We hate to hear it, you know, and it's a thing that's recurring, but I was talking to my chief about it, and um, like he said one time, you proper preparation. It's about preparing. We know these things happen, so it's about preparing. Donate what you can. Help out what you can, but allow this to be a lesson for us in taking the proper precautions and preparing for disasters that, you know, that happen especially when they happen in a place or in a place that they are known to happen in. Tonight's show, why are we afraid of black nationalism? Why is the African man and woman here in America so fearful and frightened by the word, the concept, the philosophy, and the ideology of black nationalism, when being national is as natural as breathing. You've heard me say that before. You've heard me say that every people practice it. Every people practice this nationalism. But we as an African people here don't understand how detrimental it is for the continuance, the continuancy of African people. I'm not talking about us physically. I'm one of those people who believe that you will not be able to physically destroy the black man and woman in America. Not physically. You will never be able to get rid of black people, their person, their body. But the concept of Africa, the idea of self-determination, the cultural aspect of Africa, the empowering and the liberation and the liberation motivating um aspect of Africa, I believe is being destroyed by our lack of nationalism. And with the events that had happened in Charlottesville, North Carolina with the white nationalists, it has even given that word nationalism a worse connotation. That it has given that word. So it, it, it comes off like a dirty word. And when we say it, you will have African people, black people saying, oh, you're teaching hate. You're teaching a dislike for other people. We have to learn to love everyone. We have to learn to get along. And nowhere in that word or nowhere in the meaning of that word or the definition in that word does it imply, does it say that we hate anyone or that we can't work alongside or in, uh, in you know, collaboration with any people. But it simply says that black nationalism simply, simply means that we as a people must have our own identities, that we as a people must have our own goals, aims, and objectives, and we must work together collectively to achieve those things. We are blinded to the fact that nationalism exists everywhere that we go. 
in every people we see. When you go into these stores and buy things from these stores, those are family members or those are people from the same ethnicity that are working in that store because they have a form of nationalism. And the difference between them practicing nationalism and us practicing nationalism is it is something that is inherently taught to them. They learn cultural, social responsibility and obligation from the time that they come out of the womb. They learn that that, that their people have rights over them that people that look like them have a particular right over them. They have the right to aid. They have the right to security. They have the right to shelter. They have the right to their assistance. And we that has been taken from us. Something so simple. That is something that has been taken from us, and that is something that we as a people must start to reinstill in our youth, that our people, we have a responsibility and obligation to African people. We are the one, some of the only people, and I would like to say the only people, because in my travels I have yet to find a group of people that behave the way that we behave. When, we, when you go into a store, nationalism is so real with other people that you go to any part of the city, there again I say the same thing, any part of the city where you find these people, and you don't find, when you find these people living in these enclaves, when you find one ethnicity living in a particular area, you don't see the other ethnicities or other people from different ethnicities having shops or stores in that particular area. Does anyone say that they're practicing hate? Does anyone say that they're practicing discrimination or racism? We've come to accept that as a natural fact. We've come to accept that as the order of the day that this is normal and natural for other people to work collectively, to practice cooperative economics, and that you and I should be at one another's throats. And this is the failing of all our endeavors, even in entrepreneurialism. A lot of us believe and have, have, have been taught that if we get our own businesses, then we become successful, that you've made it. But if race first isn't used as your moral compass, then you really haven't made it. If race first isn't used as your moral compass, then you really haven't made it because you're not empowering your consumer base. And by you not empowering your consumer base, by you not giving your consumer base, the people that you belong to, the tools and the instruments they need to liberate themselves and empower themselves to be able to come to you, then you're in competition with other ethnicities. And you're not going to beat these other ethnicities with uh, um, in, in, in that type of competition. You're not going to be able to beat them in that type of competition. For one, our people have been conditioned not to buy. We have been conditioned not to shop and buy and to, and, and to uh, patronize, patronize, patronize our own businesses, one another, but also because of their money, because of their capital, because of their economic backings and their backers, because they practice nationalism, you understand, because of those backings that they can afford the loss of products due to theft or the insurance due to some misfortune that may befall them. They can afford the commercials to advertise in your communities. And so your community doesn't know how you are. So we don't understand how that those things tie together brothers and sisters, and I would love to have some feedback and input on this. Why are we afraid of nationalism? 
Why isn't this the thing constantly being told, or constantly being reiterated over and over again? Black nationalism, self-determination. Black nationalism and self-determination. We can go on and continue to be reactionaries, chasing every misfortune. And, and I'm not, listen, listen. Let me say, like I always say, every effort being put forth by any progressive organization to aid and assist African people is not only, you know, not only commendable, but it is also necessary. So the efforts and the aids that are going out to reach our people, everything from the uh, brutality, police brutality, and the unjust murders of our people to even what's happening in Houston is very necessary. But what is the long-term goal? Why do we not get programs? Why are we still confusing projects for programs and not programming our youth to practice accountability and responsibility and obligation to our people? What's the problem? And I mean sensible nationalism, not the rhetoric, not the angry nationalism, not the nationalism that gets all this so-called attention, not the nationalism that people pat on the back and say that that brother said that, or exploiting our emotions, whips us up into a frenzy that, that offers unrealistic solutions, but a nationalism that offers solutions. And one of the reasons, I'm going to tell you one of the reasons, in my opinion, in my opinion, and feel free to chime in, is because black people, African people here in America are scared of discipline. They're scared of the moral responsibility that true nationalism enforces, that true nationalism demands, the moral responsibility, the moral obligation, not just to your people but to yourself. Because true nationalism, if true nationalism was about the betterment and the empowerment of African people, then that betterment and that empowerment of African people starts with you. And we love secretly. We won't admit it. Oh, no, we won't admit it. But we love the way that we are living. We love the way that we're living. We love the sicknesses and the advices that we indulge in. So in order, when we begin to practice nationalism, that that calls for accountability. So African people shy away from that. And they buy into the so-called American dream of rugged individualism, of capitalism. You buy into this European way of thinking of capitalism, not understanding that your capitalism is only a consumer capitalism. You practice capitalism from the consumer end of it. And why this European can tell you that practice rugged individualism? Because he doesn't practice rugged individualism. The American system is a white supremacist system or a white entitlement and white privilege system. So therefore, when he say practice rugged individualism, when he says do for yourself, when he says build yourself up and get a business, he knows that he has as a fail proof, as a fail safe, he has a system that will entitle him and guarantee him to certain privileges based on their not just their skin complexion, but their ethnicity. They're being European. He has that. She has that. White America has that. And until we begin to create programs, until we begin to take our organizations and gear them towards self-determination and self-sufficiency, we will always fall victim type of mentality. 
So I ask brothers and sisters, why are we afraid of black nationalism? How is it that we aren't moved to repulsion, that we're not sickened by the very fact when we step into a store that our dollar is being spent with someone who not only doesn't reflect us physically, but even ideologically, mindset, culturally, socially, any kind of way, that this person is not out to benefit the African community? How have we become so accepting and embracing of this diversity and multiculturalism to the detriment of African advancement, to the empowerment of African people? Because you're scared. You're scared. You're scared of yourself. And we suffer from Stockholm Syndrome. We secretly love our oppressor. We haven't gotten to the point where we really will look at him or her, or look at this system and say it is an oppressive system. It is a criminal system that we haven't really digested or understood the fact that the worst crimes in humanity have been perpetrated against us as a people. And I'm not just talking about the physical crimes, the crime of removing a people from their homeland, their place of origin. I'm not talking about the rapes. I'm not talking about the murders and the lynchings. I'm not talking about the robbery and the stealing of our our people's lands. I'm not talking about the physical repression, but I'm talking about the psychological damage that has been done to African people here in America. You and I are out of our mind. You and I are out of our minds. We have completely lost it. And it's one thing to have completely lost or it's one thing to have gone through that or be going through that, but then when options come, when we have an, an, an opportunity to correct that way of thinking, we begin to fight against it. And we begin to fight the people who push and promote a black nationalism. We mistakenly begin to attribute black nationalism to every other type of uh, sickness out there. We don't know how to distinguish and to separate black nationalism from the other isms and schisms out there. And this is one of the this is one of the biggest downfalls because we have pimps of black suffrage and misery. We have people who actually will exploit us who look like us and will exploit our ignorance of black nationalism and exploit our emotions, who will play on that to their advantage and won't begin to establish programs to empower you and I, to put us on the same footing, the revolutionary is an egalitarian. The revolutionary is an egalitarian. He practices egalitarianism. He believes in equality or she believes in equality, and that equality must first begin amongst our people. We must begin to see ourselves and our brother and our sister, the first steps of nationalism. We have to see ourselves and our brothers and our sisters. We have to be able to begin to relate to their struggle, to feel their pain, to empathize with them. And after empathizing with them, not to exploit that feeling, but to begin to talk to our brothers and sisters and share with them ways to elevate them out of the suffering and the misery. This is black nationalism. So I ask, why are we afraid of it? What has us 
running from that. Something that is so simple, yet vital to our very existing mindset. Or are we, or will we be truthful and honest with ourselves and say that we're content with our lives here and the way that our lives are going? That we have a disconnect, and this disconnect between you and I, and this disconnect with our people, doesn't bother us as much as it should bother us. We won't acknowledge. I mean. We are so in love with our oppressor and so forgiving that we've forgotten the crimes that have been perpetrated us against us as a people, and we overlook that. So when someone comes along and says, hey, we have to stick together, we have a million and one reasons why us as African people won't stick together. And it's time to stop it. It is time to begin to heal that wound. It's time to begin to find out ways that we can come together and that we can start to build. This is National Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, Independent Black Talk Radio. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you why African people are afraid of black nationalism. Let's go to our line. Let's start it off early and go to our line. 470-1444. Your mic is open. Hey, Black Power. Good afternoon. This this your nephew. Black Power, nephew. All right. How you doing, man? I mean, you know, honestly, man, I believe that that these brothers' problem is they're happy with being American, not African-American, not black. Yeah, yeah. They're happy with, with just being American. They they, they settle for that because, you know, you know, you know I'm pro-black. Some, some of these brothers, it make these niggas sick, man. Yeah, it it make them sick. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah. And 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 it's like, you know, I don't I don't understand it because you know, you know, this should come naturally with the rest of the instinct that we have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm you just, would think you know just you would think the wood, Hakeem. You know, you would really think it would come naturally, but I think that the natural God given senses have been beaten out of. I agree, man. I agree. I agree because you know I'm gonna just give you a scenario like this. Like, okay, instead of instead of somebody giving the black man who they can trust their cigarettes to sell and hold their canteen down, they give it to the crack. And I'm not racist. I'm not. But you know, my people come first. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, my my people come first. That's just a small example. Like, I believe they just happy with being American. They want to be. They 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 so so. On land of the free, they want to be a, a melting pot. You know what I'm yep. saying? And, 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 and you know, it's more like a salad bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know one of the African things American. is. Yeah, but one of the things is I think that African people here have to do is they have to defy. We go back to what we talk about in the um, as far as the People's Black Panther Party for self determination. We do the three Ds: defy, develop, and defend. We have to defy what America is. You know, and knowing the history, and like I always quote point number five, we want a true, you know, of the 10-point platform and program of the People's Black Panther Party Self-Determination. We want a true history that teaches the decadent, racist uh, nature of America. And I think that we, it goes back to what we were talking about, what I was saying earlier. We're so forgiving and so forgetful. We suffer from nigga amnesia. We have forgotten Mm -hmm. what this country was built on. 
You know, and I don't care what color you paint the walls. I don't care how many times you change the structure of the house. The foundation remains the same. The and foundation you know, remains the same. Uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, we're going to realize that these Euros or whoever they are, they're savages, man. Yeah. They're savages, yeah. man. I'm talking about every. Where they go? I just read a book. It had to have about fourteen pages. It was on nothing but Alaska, and you know the Europeans that showed up there. You oh, know yeah. they didn't show oh, up yeah. out there. You know what I'm saying? You know it's just it's just history repeating itself. Just like you know, just like being current with with, with Hurricane Harvey. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's just it's just all these same things happen again. And I think what we're looking at right now is is similar what happened to to to, to Egypt when it was bunking. The wrong when they had everything going on, you know what I'm saying. You know, black people, black people getting tired was the was the was the reason that these these great kingdoms fell. You know what I'm saying? Revolt. Yeah. But things like you know, things I like of that what nature. you said. I like what you said. You know, but when we study history, I I, I love that. I love. Let's go back to Rome because this okay. is what I see. Let's go. I'm gonna touch on the fight, and I'm offend a lot of people. And you can chime in if you get offended. But let's go back to the Mayweather fight. You okay. know, which I watched. Repeat yourself. Uh, okay. I didn't, watch it. I didn't watch the fight. I, I'm not knocking anybody who watched the fight, but I refuse to watch that Negro. I refuse okay. to watch that. And this Negro gave $4.5 to Donald Trump, which I told everybody. Wow. I mean, the nigga came on there and said that he was American. He wasn't black. He wasn't Afro-American and all this. He was American. I knew then that was somebody that I was not going to watch because I'm not so emotionally um, deprived that I need a black champion to beat a white man up. I need to see a white man. I'm not that nigga that needs to see yeah. a white man beat so bad that I will, you know, just root for any black man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yo, your skin complexion, like I always say, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. So mm-hmm. everybody put, it was the same thing they did to Mayweather. In Rome, when Rome was falling around them, Julius Caesar gave them what he called 100 days of games. He opened up the Colosseum. He allowed gladiators to come in and the lions to come in. He did all of these things to distract them from what was going on, what was happening in Rome socially and politically. Rome was collapsing. The same thing. We see it with us. They give us a hero. When there's social unrest and, and there's an upheaval in the black, especially in the African community here in America, they give us a hero. You had the Vietnam War and the Black Panthers. We had Muhammad Ali. And we cheered when we cheered when, uh, no, we go before that. Social unrest, they gave us Joe Lewis, the Bronx, Bronx bomber. He beat a white man, Negroes danced in the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can understand that a little bit more because you back in that time, you better not touch a white man. Vietnam yeah. War and the Black Panther era and, the, and the, what I call the black the beginning of the black revolution or the African revolution in America, they gave us Muhammad Ali. And we cheered and we jumped around. Muhammad Ali beat us, you know, he beating them white boys, beating them crackers. Then we go up to the time of during the Rodney King era and the civil unrest all that time, they gave us Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson was knocking white boys out. And we're like, oh, yeah, Mike Tyson, we forgot about. Now with all of these police killers, they give us Mayweather. And Mayweather did knock somebody out. And we tend to put all the social unrest and social upheaval and our freedom and our, our everything, our emotions and everything, based on this brother getting in the ring who can knock a white boy out and the brother turn around and say he's not one of you. 
and turn around and give $4.5 million out of all the black organizations out there that are soliciting funds that could use to help all the community groups and things like this, this Negro that walks around with money in a duffel bag turns around and gives $4.5 million to Donald Trump. You see what Slap I'm saying? So, you say it again, nephew. Slap in the face. A slap in the face. A slap in the face. But this is why we're scared of life because black nationalism begins to demand us some not just accountability but some discipline. And there's some things that we may not, you know, like. You know, I'm not saying stay away from your sports. I'm not saying I've been looking at the protest of the NFL and I heard they signed a brother with his name, Kaepernick. You know, I heard they signed a brother. I don't know for certain. So I'm not saying, you know, I, I know my people enjoy their sports, but what I am saying is don't put all of your political aspirations, don't put all your black nationalist aspirations, don't put everything on some Negro running a ball or in the rain pounding on and beating on a white man, and when you step outside of your community or outside of your door, your communities are in the same condition that they were prior to this Negro beating up that crap. I'm, just, you know, I'm not that easily amused. I want to. I want to tack. I want to tack on with that. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, you know. It just seemed like a whole bunch of distractions. Like you know. You know. I, I watched the video by you. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I, I went to. I went to shooting it all over the place to different people because we hadn't had this conversation. But guess what? Guess what? I had been told. Them. I said, if I'm gonna be a nigga, whether you tell them statue down or not, leave them up. No. Yeah. It's not gonna change. Yeah. It's not gonna change nothing I got going on. You know Man, what I'm saying? Absolutely. I've already. But that video. To the but the video was amazing. It was saying everything I was trying to say and more. Okay. I didn't sent it. I didn't shattered it. It's in everybody's inbox right now. Who? What video? You know what the I'm video saying? I put up. Yeah, about the statues, man. Yeah. Yeah. About the statues, yeah. man. About them, them making the plot. So they can get rid of this history, so that they can, so that they can, so that they can tear it up and say it did not happen. Absolutely, we're already not in control of our school curriculum, so we already see that what they've done to slavery. I told you, Amaru came home, your little cousin came home and told me mm-hmm. that he said, "Daddy, I know we we study slavery." I said, "What did they tell you slavery is?" He said, "Daddy, they told me slavery when we worked all day for free." <laughs> That's the extent of this. <laughs> so my thing is, yeah, leave the statues up. Confederate history is black history. Yeah, we should all know Robert E. Lee. We should all know Robert E. Lee. Exactly. <laughs> it's 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 a testament to the atrocities, to the butchery, the savagery, the inhumane treatment of an African people, and not just African people, but other ethnicities in this country. The Native Americans, our brown brothers, when they took California, just. It's a testament to um, um, who they really are. So I say leave them up. Nephew, let me go to my phone lines. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to put you on mute. Put it back on, man. You're always welcome to click in. I appreciate you listening from behind the lines. Let's go to our other caller. Area code 470-1418. Your mic is open. Black Power. Black Power. How you doing? I'm good, brother. How about yourself? I'm doing well, you know, just listening to you. I wanted to touch on, uh, you know, 
the distraction. You know, I feel like Donald oh, yeah. Trump was a major distraction. Yeah. You know, everybody so Trump, 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 Trump that they losing sight of the task at hand. They losing sight of the, the police brutality, the oppression, the excessive force, the the unjustified murders, the poverty, mm-hmm. the uneducated students, children, adults, the lack of organization. Do you know the lack yeah. of the black governing people of our people, if you follow me? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. just today I was in the courtroom and got a racial verdict. Just off of my skin Dang. color. You know I was touched. Yeah. Yeah. A racist landlord and a racist judge, best friend. Hmm. You know, so the distractions are there. They're very yeah. real. Yeah. I totally I totally agree with that. Trump is a Trump Trump is a distraction and can be a, and can become a very big distraction. But I think what what Trump is more than anything to me, of course, is a symbol of the sentiment of the American people. Where you had presidents before that was hiding the racism and they were doing things against people of African descent, black people here in America. Now they came out, they got so sick of us. And we snoozed and laid down so much that they blatantly put up someone. I mean, they just threw it in your face. The hell with you. The hell with black America. The hell with what you think. The hell with your dollars. We're going to put up somebody. The man ran on his campaign promises was building a wall to keep the Mexicans out, banning banning Muslim countries, uh, more police. He just, he just passed a law. That you know, well, Obama said that the police couldn't have certain type of military vehicles and certain type of military weapons because they would no longer be a police force; they would look like an occupying force. Trump just passed a law that 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 passed through all that off. So now we thought tanks was in our neighborhood. He gave the police carte blanche to have military weapons, even after. Why well, and he also passed that deal with the uh, the uh, um what do you call it? No not warrant searches. Yeah. Over in DC and yeah. Virginia. Yeah. So you know, it's a lot of things going on, but the problem is is you know our people keep leaving it up to them to handle it. The enemy ain't gonna right. help us. That's right. We gotta we gotta we gotta get out here and build our own government. It's gonna take work, but we can do it. Cause as long as as long yeah. as we stand by and leave it up to them. They're going to always come through the back door on them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole yeah. purpose the whole purpose is total and complete genocide of all melanated skin colored niggers. <laughs> they ain't, they ain't, they ain't uh, black people, African American, Afro American, Negroes, niggers behind closed doors. Or, That's like right. you say, in your face. So they yeah. practically killing us and saying, deal with it or do something about it. So what are we going to do? Are we going to deal mm-hmm. with it or are we going to do something about it? Mm-hmm. We're going to be pushed into that. We're being pushed in that court. So what, are, so what are some of your suggestions, brother? And I'm a, you know, before I go back to the phone line, what are some of your suggestions? How can we deal with this? 
how can I know you said like you said we need our own government, but starting on our baby steps, what can we do to begin to deal with this blatant racism and discrimination against I like what you said, melanated people. I like that. Against melanated people. The first step is defense. Because we're mm-hmm. under attack. We're not doing the attacking. So we must be prepared to, you know, defend. That's, that's, see, that's where the Panthers come in at. See, that we the military. We the force. You yeah. know, we the, we the protection. That's, that's first and foremost. Secondly, I just say mass fundraising. Take the money and invest into opening businesses, schools, you know, those free clinics, you know, mm-hmm. all of that stuff that we're going to need to be pro-black. Because separation yeah. is the key. But you can't separate if you carry nothing in your bag when you leave. Damn right, because you got to go back and get some more stuff from the damn people who are if we if we if we separate but build before we separate, then it'll be devastating for them. Yeah. We need a black government yeah. within this government to govern our people, to police our streets, to teach our students. You know, like he said, to make sure that we cure or to make sure that we play a role in where our destinies end up, our future as a black race or like I say, melanated people in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We must create a black government, period. Whether it be a new black Wall Street or a new, new whatever. We need black government, period. We need black right president. We need a black Supreme Court. We need a black judicial, legislative, and executive. All mm-hmm. black, you know. That's what we need. I man, black I agree with that. And black, and like you were saying, black, and not just black on the outside. We need these. We need these cats to think black. That black or African or melanated is their first and primary concern. Our people, the needs of our people, the wants of our people, and the well-being and 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 welfare of African people or melanated people. I like that. I like that. But I'm gonna go to the phone line again, man. Push. I, I hope that you come in again because that was very well put. And very well said, and I totally agree with that, man. We have to do for self. Let's go. I'm going to go to um, our phone lines again, area code 404-7765. African powers. Black power, African power. Um, I'm going to listen. I want to kind of go back. You all um, asked some questions in the first part of the show. Um, you were saying that our people are scared of moral responsibility. Um, that part I kind of disagree with, and I'm going to say why. If we start, you know, paying attention to the things that we're using, we are still using European, Arab, all of the enemy's techniques in order to reconstruct and also to teach our children. We are not careful about the information that we put out. I hear the black stuff, but that's something that was created by the white man. We need an African nation. We need to rebuild the structure of who we were originally were, the aboriginals of this world, and we'll be able to come together. We've got to also understand that amongst that African nation or Ethiopian nation or Moroccan nation, none of those people ever without, I'm going to say, Milano, white people. 
they might have played a different role than what they were in this position, but I haven't found anywhere in the globe where we have had one race, one nation, one God, and all of that stuff that's being followed, not even in Africa. So when we get out of that mythological thinking that we would be one nation and one race because white supremacy is what they believe in, and that would only turn into black supremacy and not an African building. Three or four things I wanted to touch on. Survival is more important right now to me. I don't care what schools or anything that we reconstruct or build. Right now, Donald Trump and a lot of other people are using high technology and certain methods in order to destroy us as a whole. One with the thing of um, Hurricane Harvey. That was not a hurricane. That was some GMO, you know, created crap because they wanted to stop the drug trade and the Mexicans from coming in across a certain part of the border. So we got to get more deep into our studies and know what they're doing. So if they got the power to let water in and kill thousands of people and force you to relocate, then it doesn't make a difference what we reconstruct right now. What we need to focus on is, one, getting all our people out of these facilities. We have too many people that are in prison. We have too many children that are in defects, um, 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 defects possession. We have a lot of people that are being manipulated out here by the court systems and being caught up even just with the guidelines of back-and-forth rhetoric where they cannot move the way that they see fit. What I believe we should be doing is to destroy everything that's around us. This is what they do. They don't like niggers, and like the last person stated, they are coming through at a rapid pace, destroying niggers through food, water, clothing, and everything. We have no power. Let me say this. Technically, we are all racist. Let's get out of the bullshit of thinking we're not racist. We are racist because we all feel some type of way. The people of our ethnic background or cultural background should have some type of superiority because that's what we're screaming about, black power. However, we're not prejudiced. We don't hate people because of the color of their skin. We don't hate people because they're well living of what they think. We hate the oppressive situations that we're in. And right now we got 25,000 cone sambo niggas weighing a 10 to 1. I ain't seen a cracker in my community in years enforcing any type of laws or any unjustifiable murder. So we got to quit sifting around the things that we're going through. You stated something about all of the people that is in our community don't look like us, which clearly should show you all that it's not a Muslim or Christianity fight. This is just what they want the fools to believe because this is what we believe in and this is what keeps us going. This is a power structure. They're multicultural on the power. That's why these foreigners do have stores in our communities. That's why we do see all the Chinamen be able to still be Chinamen here and all of this other stuff. Because when they came over here, they didn't do what most people did. We didn't change Af- they, we, they didn't change Africans for African Americans. We have been different denominations, black, African, African American, coon, deuce, dark, darkies. We've been all of that. Those are terms that white people have given us, even Africans. When we, co- when we communicate with Hebrew Israelites or Moors or people of that nature, I see a lot of us, we steer away from those people. Kind of funny to me because if you look at Africa, those were some of the places that Africanists decided to, you know, go and invade and take over because they were some of the most strategic and most smart people that we dealt with. Yeah, we had some Spaniards, but we got to be able to tell the truth. We had some niggers, not niggers, niggers that allowed us to be infiltrated because all they wanted was power instead of structure. 
So right now, survival to me is getting our people out of these penitentiaries and getting all these kids up out of these facilities. And if we know that the teachers are teaching our children incorrectly, then why do you continue to send your child to that same school that told you slavery meant free labor? So at the end of the day, until we make some type of change and stand for ourselves, we talk about the people in the 60s, but they didn't just go after programs. The government knew that programs would bring us together and separate us. That's why they hijacked them all. So while we standing out here talking about a public pretender or we're talking about free snack cakes, even the jail system give you welfare. That's something more than some of our niggas would do about sending 10 or $15 and putting them on our books. We talk to everybody, but we're not supportive. So at the end of the day, survival is important. All the real niggas are in jail. They need to be released and free because none of them has had trial by a jury of our peers. I don't give a damn about those Caucasians or those mixed mulattoes and all those people that they choose and handpick to run their system. But I'm talking about the manipulating tactics that they use to keep us enslaved in the mind and keep us separated from those that really has the strength in order to save us. So tackling these prisons, tackling defects, and furthermore, getting all the resources. How do you think that they came into power? Because they took everything from us. Then when we had to buy it back, they put some, but such a high price tag on it that like 7 billion of my people have hit the earth or hit the dang on dust or hit the rivers because they're, they're, they've been killed. Voting, all of that stuff, stop teaching our people that stuff. That shit doesn't work for us. That's only for Congress and these manipulating people that they placing in front of us, these token niggas, to be able to keep us enslaved in the mind instead of keeping us structured with the strength that we deserve in order to make change. So I don't want to be long-winded. I just wanted to say you all had some good stuff to say, but the key mission is survival and relocating our people to a place that we can call our own and that's secluded because they're not going to come where 100 niggas at. You want to take over? Let's get a million dollars, and let's go in the Crocker neighborhood, and let's go buy three houses, and let's put 50 of the gangsters niggas in them houses. They'll move immediately. The Crocker don't want to stay by us. We keep moving trying to stay by the Crocker. So stop worrying about what these Caucasians is doing because they're afraid of us. They're, the biggest thing that they are afraid of is when we're going to rise to get out of this psychological method of that we need some type of struggle or we can make some type of change when it's all niggas because I got some niggas who ain't shit today. And I wouldn't send them to fight no type of battle. So it's not about the color of our skin because black means poor and white means rich. So if you want to continue to give them the credit, they laugh at us because no one has done what Malcolm X did. And I apologize, but I'm going to be in, I'm gonna be very short. Malcolm X said, if you don't read dictionaries, the sources, then someone will always dictate your life. Although you all say that their terminology and stuff doesn't mean anything, but it actually does because that's the same shit like black codes and stuff that they're using in these court systems, in the in the executive, legislative, judicial branch. We don't understand their code wording, but they're using that shit against us. So terminology is very important, and we must start with telling our people we are not black. We're not boring. We're not dull. We're not full of sin. We come from some type of tribal background whether it's Kemite, Hebrew, Israelite, or something like that, until we can separate the Arab and the European religions and take all of that stuff away from our African nation, only then will we be able to identify with who we are. But changing yourself from your white slave master to Ali Muhammad, your Arab slave master, is not being black power. Thank you for allowing me to speak. No problem, no problem. And that's definitely, and I agree, and I, and I, agree, with, I agree with that. I agree with some of that. You know, one of the things that that does get me in um, 
agreeing with what you say is our embracing these religions. When we begin to embrace these religions, we begin to embrace the, the culture and the mindset of these religions. And whether it's Arab or European or whatever, it's still a neo-colonialist mindset. It's not a mindset of melanated people. I say black people. One of, one of the reasons I, I use black and I say black because what happens with us by us not having a clear identity, and when we accept these ways, then we take on the culture of these ways. I wouldn't have a problem being a Hebrew Israelite if the Hebrew Israelites weren't against the Kemetics. I wouldn't have a problem being a Kemetic if the Kemetic wasn't against the Muslims and the Muslims against the Moors and the Moors against the Christians. We use all of these things to be dividing factors. But we have to come together on one commonality, and that one commonality is the pain, suffrage, is what I call the ma'afa, or what's called the ma'afa, the transatlantic slave trade. The African people here in America have went through the same brutality and are suffering from the same brutality and the same biased, racist practices of a supremacist system. Now, it's not so much the white man, per se. It is not so much this cracker this tangible cracker, this white man, because like you so adequately put it, and I think that was very well spoken, in a lot of our communities, and me being from the A or growing up in the A, being raised in the A, you don't see a lot of white people. It is Negroes, niggers, like you say, perpetrating crimes against us. Black people, black is the ace of spades. Black police officers will get out pepper spray, you kick your ass sometimes quicker than a so-called white police officer. But it's the system. And the system has been so thoroughly implemented and has been, in, been put in place so good that they don't need white skin to practice white supremacy. They got Negroes that will implement and uphold white supremacy. And the American system is a white supremacist system. Like I was talking about, you can change the structure. You can beautify the house. You know, you can put in nice windows, you can paint it a nice color, you can do all of that stuff to make it look beautiful. But if it's built over a graveyard, it's still on dead bodies. And that's what America was founded on. America was a slaveocracy. Before it was a capitalist country, it was a feudal slaveocracy. And it was built on, founded on the back, the blood, the misery, the suffering of African people. It was it is a stolen land. You know, how you steal somebody's house and then come in and then make the laws of that house on a stolen land. So everything about it from its inception was criminal. So I don't care what they do. It is the foundation that it has been laid upon is a immoral, corrupt foundation. And it has been, like I said, so thoroughly implemented that now black people whom a, a, a major crime, has been committed against, a people who have been given amnesia, a people who have been beat out of their senses. African people here in America have been niggerized. There's no place called nigger land. I think you said you spoke, you spoke it the best. Since we've been over here, we've been colored, Negro, black, Afro-American, and all of that just speaks volumes to the fact of the black men and black women here in America have no clue to who they are. We don't have a clue. I would love to go back to my tribal origins in Africa. You know, first, but the problem with that is first it would cut off some of my Native American origins. It would cut off a lot of things, the, the whole, what I call the whole African here in America experience. Can me be one who revere and 
honor my ancestors would hate to do that to my ancestors. It would belittle my ancestors. I don't believe that I'm one of those Hebrews that was in the Bible that came over here. I don't believe that I was taken from Egypt, me as a person. The, the, the travesty of the slave trade, they mixed the Africans up. We interbred, not just with different tribes, but also with different people over here in America. So then when they did that to us as a people and destroyed any cultural connections that we may have had to Africa, they began to give us an identity. And that identity, they didn't take the time to name that identity, to defy that identity. They called that identity nigger. We became niggerized. We became a selfish people. We became, in a lot of things, immoral. We became illicit. We began to emulate the people that we saw. Because we didn't, if you had cultural ties, if you had African leanings, if you even did something remotely that reminded them of Africa, they would destroy you. So we begin to practice and begin to behave like they behave. One of the reasons I say that we became an immoral people is because not only do we kill ourselves, not only do we rob and take from ourselves, but then you'll have those whom you talk about, these coons and these Uncle Toms, that will sell us out, that will go and work for the very system that oppressed us in the first place, will go and be a part of the very system whose whose design clearly is the dissemination and destruction of the African personality and identity and will go and enforce and uphold those unjust and biased laws. Like the young brother said, he went in court today and clearly racism was taking place. If he'd have got out of line, I don't know what city the brother's from, you know what I'm saying, but I know in Atlanta a lot of those bailiffs are black. If he'd have got out of line from a white judge and a white landowner, it'd have been the Negro that pepper sprayed him, tased him, and took him to jail. What kind of nigga is this? That's immoral. That is no sense of it is immoral not to have a sense of obligation, of accountability to your people. That and that to me that is one of the most immoral practices. And what ends up happening in our search and our quest for identity, we begin to take on these identities, and instead of it being a unifying, it being an identity, a communal identity, an identity of galvanizing and, mo- and motivating black people to do for self, it becomes an identity of division, diversity, separation. I can't, you ain't saved. You don't believe in the blood of Jesus. You don't believe in Allah. You ain't a Moor. You ain't an Israelite. So we begin to further the divide between us, the, 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 the separation between us, and then start to back it up with some self-righteous bull stuff. And that's my problem with taking on these. I have yet to see anyone embrace. And me coming up in an Islamic household, I'm telling you, Islam is not exempt from that. I used to practice a anybody who knows Yanga. And some of those people that know me by Ibrahim knows I used to practice a very staunch interpretation of Islam and wondered why my marriages would fail, wondered why my family relations with my mother and my grandmother and my sisters were strained because I was trying to implement an Arab culture. Not only I don't have a problem with the so-called Muslim, I have a problem with Arab nationalism. I don't have a problem with the so-called Christian. I have a problem with Eurocentric nationalism practiced by black people. 
I have a problem when you come in and worship a white Jesus and understand your Bible according to white interpretation. I have a problem when you read your Quran and you, you interpret your Quran and understand your Quran according to Arab interpretations and an Arab understanding. I have a problem with the Hebrews when they do the same thing according to a Jewish interpretation and understanding. And it's not unified. When you look in the Arab community amongst the Muslims, there's different branches of Muslims, the Shiite, the Sunni, the Ahmadiyya, the Sufi. Man, it goes on and on. But one thing that they have in common is their Arab nationalism. Even Arab Muslims and Christians will get together before they will get together with an African Muslim, a black Muslim. White Christians, if they were really that unifying, if they were really that cohesive and working together, there wouldn't be white churches and black churches, white masses and black masses, white synagogues and black synagogues. They let us know that the issue of race is very real. We're the only people that don't understand the issue of race, just race based on our skin complexion. I agree with what Sister Kim is saying. We have to move past the skin complexion aspect of it. Like I said earlier, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk, but move into the ideology and the philosophy of what it means to be African here in America. What that means, what that looks like. Like she's saying, survival is very real. So we have to do things and address issues that go to our survival. And right now is not the time for us, you and I, as African people in America, to be arguing over semantics. Black nationalism does away with the semantics. Black nationalism does away with the Moorism and the Islamism and the Christianities and the Hebrew Israeliteisms and the Kemeticisms. It does away with that. It says that we have a common enemy, and that common enemy is oppression, not just the white man in the tangible, not just the white man in the physical, but the system that has been designed to hold black that willfully and intentionally obstructs black people from the natural evolution process, targeted. We are targeted. I agree with what the sister saying. We could pick up and we could move in their neighborhoods. We could buy their houses up. But that would be all that we're doing. And then what we have there is then, again, is what you call white flight. As soon as some Negroes move into their neighborhood, they move out. And the problem with them moving out is Negroes have become consumers. We think we can buy the American dream. So when they move out, they take the means and modes of production with them, and those neighborhoods become dilapidated because we're waiting on other people to do for us, like the young brother said. We don't begin to do for ourselves. The reason that foreigners can come in our community and economically exploit us is because we don't understand the power of not just owning our business, but that business being supported by our communities and the business supporting the community. That's the major part. It has to be a symbiotic relationship. It has to be a balance. We have to give. We give to the community, and the community gives back to us, but we don't understand that aspect of it. And so what the foreigners do, they understand that aspect of it. They understand if they give you a nickel, you'll spend a dollar. So you can go in their community and get credit. All of that shit's insured. They ain't losing no money, not for real. If you don't pay them back for the credit, they write that off as a loss, as stolen property. They have so much allocated to them for insurance to, to the loss of theft. I've talked to business owners. I've been, that's been one of the things because we're working on an economic initiative. So I've been talking to black business owners. I've been talking to foreign business owners. 
And I find out that a lot of these foreign business owners are insured against a certain loss that they're expected to take a year. And so they're insured against stuff. And a lot of that is given to credit. Give a nigga a nickel, he'll give you a dollar. So then they begin to endure themselves, endear themselves to the black community. And what you have is Africans begin to defend them. They begin to fight for them like they'll be fighting for their mama. I'm being good to me. I'm being do when a nigga don't do for me. We begin to make excuses, but at the same time, how much has I been given back to your community? Like the sister was saying, we send our children to these schools, but how much has I been given for us to supply, to have these schools, to be able to educate our children? They don't want you to practice nationalism because if you begin to practice nationalism, you get in their pocket. What did they say when they killed Malcolm? Get your hand out my pocket, nigga. Get your hand out my pocket, nigga. In a capitalist country, that's what it's all about, the money. So a black, so nationalism amongst African people here will begin to erode their, their, their money-making scheme. It will begin to dry up their pockets, dry up their wells, and they can't have that. So when you and I begin to teach nationalism, you'll get the one that comes up to you and says, that brother, he's he teaching hate. I don't hate anyone. I love everybody. Just like I was up in New York, parked the car. First of all, let me, let me tell you this. Parking in New York was $32. I just had to throw that in there. That's just outrageous. But I parked the car in a Punjab parking lot, Hindu, a, 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 a Habib, and the car got hit. And this Punjab is going to tell me that the car was like that before we put it in. So I told, like I told the, 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 the Habib that you're dealing with a black man, first thing he tell me, well, do you think I'm white? Do you think that I'm that narrow-minded, that I'm that small-minded to think that it's just black against white? So I don't want to tell the Hajib. It's the black man versus everybody. It's us versus everybody. All of you people come over here and exploit our lackadaisicalness, exploit our lack of nationalism. I don't see anybody really working in your stores like that. You have a few brothers sitting on you, hire a few of us to be pit bulls. We can sit on your crates. We can guard your liquor. We can tackle a nigga if he's in that stealing. And we'll beat the putt out of a Negro if he comes in your store stealing. You might hire a sister behind the counter because you want to molest her. You want to fill her up. You want to call her baby. But keep your woman out of that. Go into these communities that are predominantly black that's run by these foreigners. Very rarely will you see their women in there. And if you see their women in there, they're working with a man. And if you say something outrageous to that sister, if you say something that he deems disrespectful to that woman, your life will get shot in your face. And we allow our women to go in these stores and be harassed and molested. And we think it's funny and cute and gold in his mouth or a few gold teeth because he's acting like a coon, a nigger. That's when it becomes a menstrual show. That's when it becomes buffoonery. You take our culture and you clown it. Yes, my nigga. Yes, hip-hop. I listen to future. You don't have but when you go to your home, you're showing the utmost respect to your parents. You're following your religious practices. You're obeying all your cultural and social guidelines and regulations and come in our community and want to be a nigga. I don't want my children to have to see that. You make a mockery 
of something that we've taken and something that we do just quite naturally. We got swag. But we quick not only to sell our souls but to sell our culture because we feel we've made it. We feel we accept it when they start to emulate us, when they start to imitate us, when they start to eat our foods, when they start to wear our clothes. We made it and we think it's funny. We think it's cool to have a Punjabi friend or a white friend or something like that. Talk to these Negroes. Try it. You'll talk to them about the white man. First thing they say, they don't, they don't believe that I got some white friends. My white friend told me, first of all, if it isn't a race issue, if it isn't about race, then why you got a white friend and it just ain't your partner? When you talk about your partner, you don't say my black partner. It's just your partner. But we put that distinction on it. We put it because it's a badge of honor deep down in our hearts, secretly. We love it. We love the fact that we got this clown with us. And we think that we've made it. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I hate to give them a dollar out of our – I hate to see them get rich off the sweat and the tears and the blood and the prayers of black people knowing that this money goes to build up their communities. And when you ride through their communities, you ain't two blocks in their communities. When you hear whoop, whoop, if it's a white community or if you go through other communities, when all of them stepping out asking, can I help you, you take a wrong turn, what you looking for? People in their communities. We should try it. Leave our communities and go in their communities. Look how they defend their communities. Look how possessive of their communities they are. Because it's natural for them to practice that nationalism. They look out for one another. If they didn't, when they get in there and they're talking about you, are they ready to pull some type of scheme or scam behind the counters? Listen to them. They even revert back to their native dialect. They speak in a language you can't hear, you and I can't understand. So it's always about nationalism. It has never not been about the collective, never not been about the group, except when it comes to people of African descent over here because we don't acknowledge the travesty that we've been through. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying be a professional victim. I'm not saying be woe is me. I'm not saying sit here and cry because we went through the Mahatma, we went through the transatlantic slave trade, it happened. It happened. But what I am saying about that is that, like our counterpart, when you look at the Jewish people, they use that atrocity, they use that travesty called the Holocaust to motivate them. One of their key slogans and their key phrases is what? Never again. Never again. They won't allow that to happen again. But many of us are very forgetful. And not only are we forgetful, we're very forgiving of that crime. And I'm not saying that we hold every and each individual European accountable for the crime of slavery, but what we do say is this, you must acknowledge white man, you must acknowledge white man, you must acknowledge Mr. White Man and Mr. White Woman, white privilege and white rights. You have to acknowledge it because America was founded on it. And the fact that America was founded on it, the proof is in the pudding, Look at the presidency. Look at the current president. Look at the current regime. That's how you know it was founded on that. You've never, we've never, in the history of president, well, I'm not going to say in the history of presidencies, but any time contemporary, any time current, that has been blatant, blatantly racist and discriminatory as our current president, President Trump. 
who makes no bones about it, unapologetically, racist and fascist. When he tells the police you're too nice in apprehending people, and we have lists on top of lists, we have incident on top of incident of our people being murdered, of being brutalized by this racist discrimination, blatant discrimination, blatant racism. They say that there has been a hike in hate crimes perpetrated against people, my so-called minority people, by white America because they feel emboldened by this presidency. But it's our lackadaisicalness. It's our lack of participating in our own self-determination that encourages that type of behavior, that allows them to feel that they can get away with that. Like the brother said, we must begin to defend ourselves and not only defend and defense, not only in the physical, but defense legally, defense socially, culturally, educationally, and politically. I agree wholeheartedly what the sister's saying about us. I agree wholeheartedly what the sister's saying about our school systems. And we have some staunch revolutionaries out there that will snatch their children out of those schools now. And I applaud those brothers and sisters. But we can't forget about all our people. We have some of our people that are not quite ready, unfortunately, to make those type of steps. So we must begin to make steps and to accommodate the people and meet the people where they're at. I'm saying that if you're not ready, brothers and sisters, to snatch your children out of schools, I wish I had the time to sit with my boys in homeschool. Lord knows I wish I had the time to do that. But if brothers and sisters aren't ready or haven't gotten to that level where they're doing that, then I'm saying at the very least participate in the so-called politics and procedures of the school board and the curriculum that is being taught to your children. It's something as simple as participate. It starts off with very simplistic measures. We just have to get involved with our own destinies. And that just means taking accountability of ourselves. But it is so much easier to sit and allow other people to do things for us. That is always, that is starting to become the norm of African people in America. And I have to be hard on us, brothers and sisters. I know I'm coming down hard. But this is our radio program. It's an opportunity for me to rap to you and you rap to me. This is the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. I'm your host, National Chairman Yang and Krumah, rapping to you. Our phone lines, you know the number. If you're on here, hit one. We'll recognize you and open up your mics. And we can have this dialogue. But this is what's happening with us. You know, this is, this is exactly what's happening to us. Our lack of participation in our own self-determination and wanting to do better for ourselves. You know, we've become lazy. We've become lazy and compliant. Let's go to our phone line. Area code 832 5541. Your mic is open. Good evening, Chairman. This is K Mac. How are you? Hey, good evening, K Mac. I'm good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm tired, but it's all good. Um, excellent topic. Um, I think I'll just, for me, I'm just going to bo
um, there's going to be a handful of people that really want to do this work. I agree with the young lady that called in and spoke. Um, while having our own government and all that sounds great, and I say all that, <clears throat> that's actually starting at the top. And one of our problems as a people, we have a tendency to want to start in the middle or at the top um, and have no idea how to get from where we're at to that point. Uh, and that's called uh, starting from the bottom and working your way up. And there's something about that that's a problem. Um, it's very interesting to see, and I'm going to just call it like I see it, some of our people are lazy, straight lazy. Um, and, and both of you hit it on the head, hit the nail on the head, that they want others to do it. And it's an interesting philosophy that I'm seeing is um, people don't really want to be there while the house is being built. But if it looks somewhat promising midway through or three-quarters of the way being built, then every, all of a sudden everybody wants to be involved, wants to be a part of it. And many of us out here are, are uh, we understand that a hungry person cannot, you know, fight a war. you got to feed them. And so the survival programs have to be initiated. I saw something today that made my heart drop. And it was a, a comment that was made that the ancestors and the elders are irrelevant today. Wow. wow. And I didn't, I didn't even know what to say to that. But it also speaks of what the problem is. I have seen so much disrespect to the elders that exist today. For whatever reason, people just think that, just because it was in the 60s or that was back in Africa or that was in the, 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 the 100 B.C.s, that it's irrelevant. The thing is, is that tells me that these individuals are part of the problem. First of all, they don't understand what was being said because a lot of these things are time-tested. They apply in every situation. Um, we've been given the blueprint on how to get out of this situation. Um, part of it is that, again, we're lazy. Folks just don't feel like it. Um, they don't want to be bothered. However, there are some who will do until they drop, and you still have others who are going to con constantly be skeptical. So it's a huge battle that we fight within our own people, um, we fight a lot of our battles out in the open. I'm sure that the uh, the white people in their organizations have disagreements, but we're never going to see that disagreement in public. Um, they keep that, you know, amongst themselves where we air things out and we just take it to a whole other level. But um, in order for us, in order for us to to get this done, there's a, some things that are just missing. There are some keys that the elders have indicated that's, that's just missing. You got love, compassion, kindness. All of these are action words. They're not stagnant. They don't just sit in a corner 
Um, and what I find is a lot of people don't know how to love. They think yeah. that it's some sexual act. And it's not. It, it, that's, that is a physical demonstration of your attraction. But that's not love. Love is doing something. Love is accepting someone for where they're at, supporting them, helping them, uplifting them. It's an action word. It is mm. it's something you do, okay? Um, empathy. To You don't have to walk a mile in their shoes to understand them, but you need to be able to see them where they're at, not necessarily above you or below you, but where they're at, and have some heart about that. Yeah. You know, the compassion, again, part of that is passion. Um, don't see a whole lot of compassion. I don't even mm. hear, are you dreaming about things that they want to be when they grow up anymore? And it's scary because when our youth no longer dream, to me, our future is shot. Absolutely. It is shot. Absolutely. I do believe when we lose an elder, we lose an entire library and civilization. But mm-hmm. when I read that today that the ancestors and, and, and elders are irrelevant to us today, uh, it, it still bothers yeah. me. Because I mean, there were that shows, a lot of people that supported it. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, you, I've, I've seen posts similar to that, you know, one of the statements that I hate is we are not we are not our uh, elders, we are not our ancestors or something. I've, I've, I've been hearing a lot of, you know, and, and you're right, and that just shows the state of where we're at, that there is a lack of communalism. You know, no man is an island unto himself, that we don't understand protracted struggle, that we don't understand generational revolution, you know, and, and that right. uh, there's lessons that are learned from the, despite whether we think they win, lose, or draw in our predecessors, those that preceded us in this fight, those that came before us, there are lessons to be learned from their struggle. So, I mean, you know, it is sad. To, it is it is so sad to hear that type of thing. But these are the type of things that we're, you know, this is what we're going up against. And, there again, I say it goes back to that lack of identity. And I agree with you. I agree with you. And, you know, when I see that pose that we are not our grandparents, they are absolutely right. They're not. You know, my parents told us we were built from good stuff, good stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people say, oh, well, I'm not my grandparent, you're absolutely right. You don't have half the guts your grandparents had. You are 100% correct. And they look at me real funny. I don't know what kind of grandparents you have. But my grandmother carried a three fifty seven. My grandparents had shotguns. My grandparents will knock down a cop just as quick. They probably got beat up, but they don't hesitate to take a swing either. My right. grandparents, oh. the men will never allow you to disrespect their woman. They will take your life force exactly. from you. Or, or so, like you said, or to add to that, and, and, and let me jump in there and add with that, or, you know, if not that, our grandparents held down communities. Our grandparents fed all right. the babies, all the cousins, right. and everybody was at grandmama's house. You know, they understood, exactly. our grandparents understood family, accountability, and obligation, and not just to the media family, but race accountability. 
an obligation. My my grandmother used to tell me that I carried the race on my shoulders. She would say, mind exactly. yourself when you go out there. The world's looking at it. She instilled that all sense of, of Yeah, we mm-hmm. she instilled that, that in me. That I represented not just myself, but don't, and that was heavy at the time. I didn't understand at the time. I'm like, man, I don't want everybody judging me. But she instilled in me that a lot of these people who will probably be running across black people for the first time or whatever, that you represent that. She said, speak clearly, right. shake hands firmly, make eye contact, don't lie, don't steal. You represent the race. And I and don't, and I think that we day, don't carry that on. We don't. And in back in the day, we did have a level of tribalism. And it was interesting yeah. when I think about it sometimes, they'd be like, you so-and-so's kid. You walk just like him or her. You're so-and-so's kid. You got that same smile. You know, so we had an identity back then. And so it was very interesting because there were more black-owned stores when I was growing up. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, my grandparents and other grandparents, the, the block we lived on, not only did they own their homes, but they were two and three family homes, and they did not hesitate to help another person who couldn't afford it to live in one of the floors of their homes because their homes were already paid Absolutely. for. So Absolutely. when I when I hear people say we're not, I'm not my grandparent, and you know ancestors and elders are irrelevant. First of all, you have no clue who those people were. You don't even Absolutely. know who they are. You're just taking uh, a distraction and giving it popularity because it sounds cute. Because I posted right. a meme, actually made one, and I said, well, I am my grandparents and more. There's this thing, and, and, I'm sorry, there's this thing about um, we stand on our ancestors' shoulders. Get off their shoulders. They're elders. We should be carrying their them into the future. We're the strength, not them. That's like, you know, grandma carrying a, a grown man. First yeah. of all, we got that mixed up. We are supposed to carry them and their ideologies into the future. They don't carry exactly. us. Because that's lazy. Exactly. At some point in time, we have to grow up. It's like you said. But you said a statement, hey, Mac, that I love. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I'm going to have to start saying that. I am my grandparents and more. You know, I am my Absolutely. grandparents and more, <laughs> you know. So the, the, I have those same morals embedded in me, that same love and commitment to my people, and also a youthful new generation ferocity. And I hope that my children will be their grandparents, their father, and more. You know, we can't reinvent the wheel. For us to say we're not our ancestors, we're not our grandparents, is trying to reinvent the wheel. You're nothing new. And once we know that we're nothing new, then we'll understand that this system of discrimination, racism, oppression, and repression is nothing new that we're facing. Okay, Mac, listen. Right. Let me, I got somebody holding. Let me go to my line. Definitely, please, sure. you know, um, one again, come back in if you have anything to say. But I want to give everyone an opportunity to address tonight's topic. There again, this is People Black Panther Party. Uh, for self-determination, I'm your host, National Chairman Yang Nkrumah. This is Independent Black Talk Radio. Um, and we're opening the, the phone lines to 8565. Your mic is open. Power to the people. Power to the people. Um, my topic is uh, I'm listening to everything everybody's saying, you know, 
Me, I'm mm-hmm. fighting. I'm a fighter. And I'm a people of color. Um, you what? I don't say say that. I'm a people of color. Okay, right on. And I'm listening to everything that's going on. You know, I'm, I'm feeling my little thing. You know, my thing is I'm free. I might be here, but I'm free. I ain't nobody's slave. I ain't right. never going to be nobody's slave. If we don't stick together now, we ain't never going to stick together. I look at the world and how the world is. I look at the things that people say, and, and they say nonsense. They don't think of nothing positive. They don't say nothing positive. It's just like the police where I live in. I live in New Jersey. They do what they want to do. They, they shoot. I, I had a young boy got killed six months ago, and the mother don't even know what cop done it. Nobody want to stick together. Let's rally. Don't nobody want to rally. I get six people, seven people, they want to rally. Nobody wants to do anything. It's like they lost hope. Our future is built on hope. You know, coming up as a, as a Christian, it's just like they said, I'll go back and Adam and Eve. Hey, that's what we all created. We are one. But they want to build, go to heaven. So God cursed everybody, so everybody spread it out among the lands. We all one people. I know they say black, white. You know, the first is last, and we the last, and we're going to be on top. It's just a matter of time. If we don't stick together now, we ain't never going to stick together. If we, can't, if we can't have a party without having the cops involved coming to the, coming to, to the party, breaking up everything, we're never going to have nothing because nobody want to build. You got to build. You got to build. It's just like with, with black people, some of black people, not all black people, but some black people. They want to. Um, they don't want to stick together. You can get the Mexicans. You can get the Chinese. You can get everybody. They stick together, but when it comes to us, we don't want to stick together. That's that's right. That's right. Is this Sister Felicia? Me, I'm I'm down for the cause. That's me. Right on. Is this Sister? Is is this Sister Felicia? Yeah, this is Felicia. I don't I don't know much as y'all though, but I'm gonna learn. But um, I'm a um, I'm I'm gonna be out there. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna be out there talking. I ain't scared of police because they don't like me, and I don't care for them. Right I'm on. Old. Well, like you, and, and that's absolutely right. And I and I like what you were saying about sticking together. And like I told you on the uh, phone, get me down there to South Jersey, and we're we're mm-hmm. definitely still organizing. I'm glad that you you know you hopped aboard and got down. We'll definitely get down and sort of um uh organizing and agitating. You know that that won't we need be that here. We need that here. We don't have nothing here. We got a young man that got killed. Uh, it's been a year today. Got killed over in Vineland, New Jersey. Shot him down three. It was supposed to be three, but they only killed one. And the other two that was supposed to have been with him, they they, they let him go. Nobody want to fight. Nobody want to do nothing. Nobody want to get. You can't get. We got to. We can get. Now we have a party. We had some beer and bombs, some liquor and some weed. Everybody mm-hmm. want to be down with that, but they don't want to be down for the cause. They got to be down for the cause. Like like she said, our, they're trying to erase us. The monuments, the statues, after a while they're going to want to turn Sam, Martin Luther King's monument up. They're erasing us slowly but surely as people just don't us yeah. as a people. You know, we got to stick together. You know what? Like, like you said, you got to build your community. What, what's the bill? They come in our community like this, they community. Cops come here, like you say, they ride right through here. The boy, he told this young boy, he said, you know you can't run, so don't run. He, as soon as he ran, they shot him twice in his back. Then they shot him in his chest. And then the hours later, they found, they found a gun. Well, who gun they found? Your gun? 
it wasn't his yep. gun, it was their gun. And got away with it. They ain't, no court, no nothing, nothing. But until we stick Absolutely. together, it's a, it's a fight, but I'm down for the fight because I'd rather die for a cause than to die on the street like an animal for nothing. It's okay. time for us to get together and be one people. All right, that's, that's all right. I got to say, brother. I want you to be strong. If you need me, I ain't but five seconds away. I know that's right. I Pass know to that's the right. people. All right, Power you take care. People. Pass to the people. You got to stick together. Power to the people. Power to the people. people. And I'm definitely, and you know, and let you know, sister, we definitely, um, you know, because I'm, I'm in Jersey. I'm thinking about making Jersey my national headquarters anyway, so we'll definitely be down there to South Jersey to uh to work with you and build that chapter up down there around you, around that leadership. And and when you come in that ferocious and coming that hard, man, we, I don't see anything but good things happening down in South Jersey. But you're absolutely right, and that's the whole thing of what you said. We don't stick together. So we the question begs begs again. Why do we fear black nationalism? I think that it's going to take a real, we're going to have to take a moment of real reflection to really look within ourselves, to acknowledge the damage that has been done to us. That's the first, that's the first step, to acknowledge that damage has been done. Once you acknowledge that damage has been done, once you say, hey, you know what, I am damaged goods. I know that my thinking is not right. I know that something is not quite right. The mere fact that I don't speak an African dialect or a dialect from the continent or a dialect from the place of my origin, whatever we're calling it. The fact that I don't, my lifestyle doesn't reflect the place of my origin. In fact, the fact that I have to study the place of my origin. See, we have to understand there's a problem in that. Do you think that the Hindu has to study how to be a Hindu? Do you think that the Chinese has to get a book and study on how to be Chinese? It's it's not even second nature. It's his or her nature. So the fact that we have to study things to bring us back to our nature is an indication that something is terribly wrong. To get on YouTube and get these books and listen, get um, Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark and all these that listen to Umar and all these people to tell us how Africans think or to encourage us to study, and we have to study on how to think like African people or we have to study to find out who we are, that's something wrong with that. Nobody does that. Nobody. Go ask somebody. Go to the nearest foreigner next to you and ask the Mexican, do you read a book on how to be Mexican? Ask the Hindu or the Chinese or the Arab, do you read a book on how to be who you are? So the fact that we have to study who we are is an indication that there's a problem. And once we recognize and realize and acknowledge truthfully and honestly that there is a problem, then we ask the next question, who caused the goddamn problem? Where did the problem come from? If I have a problem going on with me, now I need to know where this problem is coming from. You see? And once I understand and start to know where the problem is coming from, then I can address that problem accurately. I can realistically address that problem. But we don't want to start at, like Sister K. Mack was saying, we want to start at the top. We don't want to start at square one with ourselves, saying I got problems. The fact that I got to get a book to teach my child to think African is a problem. That is just not a second nature, or not second nature, their nature. It's a problem. And that my problem derives 
from the ma'apa. So who caused this disconnect? And when I find out who caused this disconnect, then I need to know why they caused this disconnect and what they feel that disconnect with. And they feel that disconnect with not only an American ideology, a white supremacist ideology, because they have filled our heads with a white supremacist ideology, and the white supremacist ideology is to keep us docile and in servitude, to keep us bowing down, to keep us cow-tossed, to keep us apologetic, to keep us sorry, to keep us fearful of stepping up and saying, hold on, you're not going to do that to me. I'm not going to lay down and let you murder me, maim me, evict me unlawfully from my home, uh, harass me, or any of these other things. I am a human being, first and foremost, and secondly, and most importantly, I'm a black man or a black woman, an African man or woman, whatever we're calling ourselves, but I'm not anybody. I'm not your whooping boy. That's what I'm not. I might not can tell you what I am right now, but I can tell you what sure in the hell I'm not. And I can tell you what's not going And when I can tell you what I'm not, I can tell you what the hell's not going to happen to me, what I'm not going to allow to happen to me. Because I recognize your design. The only way these things happen to us is because they've implanted this white supremacy in our mind, so we become docile and servitude. And then when we begin to understand that, we begin to be able to put things in its proper category. Like I said, we begin to understand it's not just this tangible white man. I don't just hate every white. I'd be telling a lie. I'd be sitting there putting on the biggest front if I say I just walk down the street and knock crackers out. I'd be lying. I would be telling a lie. So I understand that it's not tangible white man. It's not this particular white man in the flesh. I know history. I know there have been some well-intending, well-meaning white folks, whatever that means. I understand that because I understand history. But what I do know and what I do acknowledge is the history of America, and America was built on white entitlement and white privilege, white supremacy, point white. And that even if these Negroes, these Negroes that, that subscribe to the American way, they promote and encourage that, white entitlement, white privilege, and white supremacy by their actions, and even their assimilating and emulating Eurocentric ways and culture, all the way down to our diet, to acknowledge that, there, that a problem does exist, and that where the problem exists, there is a root cause of that problem. And once we understand the root cause of that problem, we can address it. And that's what I'm saying, that we that's what black nationalism is. It is an effort to address that issue collectively and communally because pick us off individually. A house divided amongst itself cannot stand. It's impossible. If one beam doesn't support the other beam and then interlocked and nailed together and plastered and put together, the house will not stand. They know this. They practice this in your face every day. And we see it every day. We see white nationalism every day. They don't have to scream white nationalism. They don't have to have some crackers with their teeth missing, some rednecks with Dixie flags, calling white nationalism, white fraud, white fraud. They don't need that to do every day that they wake up and go about their business in America. The fact that when you go into a bit, some of you can't wear locks to a business thing. You better shave. 
when you go to a job interview. Wear your suit. Pronounce your words properly. Tuck your ass tight. Do all of these things. Some of you Negroes' voice go up an octave or two. Hey, how you doing? Scared to put bass in your voice. Scared to look them in their eyes and make eye contact. This is white supremacy. From the subjective end, from the end of the people who have been oppressed by a racist system, who historically knows, have seen the outcome of those people who have resisted. And a lot of us become fearful. I'm not saying you brothers and sisters on the line, not you staunch revolutionary brothers and sisters or conscious brothers and sisters. I pray not. But I'm talking about in the masses of our people. That So these are the things that have to be addressed. And the way to address these things is like what Sister Kim was saying, by addressing the survival aspect, our component of our existence here in this racist country. How can we first... Once we begin to address the survival aspect, see, it's hard for us to plan for the future. How can you look when you don't even have rent money for next month or you're worrying about what we're going to feed our children tomorrow? I'm telling the brother, think about the future. Think about, he said, man, I got to feed my kids tonight. So how do we, can I think about the future? Once he understands that, survival, we begin to address the survival issue, and the key component to addressing the survival issue is nationalism, is communalism, is being collect, working together collectively, that together we have enough thing we need. We have an abundance of what we need when we work together collectively. When we begin to give this European back his morals and his ethics, when we begin to stop holding or measuring success according to his or her standards, to Americans to standards. Success is if you won't make this much a year, if your house is this size, if you drive a certain type of car. Like the sister we were talking about, I am not, they say I am not my grandparents. Our grandparents didn't measure success in those terms. Those were things that come. They understood that money was an instrument, a tool, a medium of exchange, and they would come to you once the family structure was in together. But success was the family structure, was stability and security, the protection of the family structure, propagation, the continuance of the family structure, not just the immediate family, but the greater family of black people. That's what the success was measured by, that we understood that we represented one another. This is what they do. There's not a Punjab in the world that if you took a Punjab from anywhere, an Arab, from any part of the city and took him to another city where he needed help, he couldn't go to an Arab store and they wouldn't help him. How many times have I talked about the Latino people? Take him anywhere. He'll find the first Spanish-speaking person and begin to network and get what he needs to survive. But we don't have this sense of obligation. We don't have this sense of responsibility to one another. And, and, And honestly, brothers and sisters, it's sickening. It's a disease. Please, my words, it is a disease that we have been infected with the fact that we can't stand one another enough or to the point where we would exterminate. We would kill each other. There's no tolerance 
like the sister said, there's no love, there's no compassion, there's no empathy for our own. We despise black people. And I say we, and I'm not talking to you directly unless it's striking your heart or stirring some emotion in you. But I say we because I think collectively. I've tried to mold myself to begin to think collectively. So I say we because I'm not separated from the brother or sister who is suffering from these sicknesses and diseases, just like I'm not separated from the brother and sister who has gained success with right positive thinking. We, a collective, evaluate our thinking and make nationalism the focal point, the center of all our doing. And even though we get burned, even though sometimes our hearts are broken, we may not get the fair shake out of the deal. We may get the smaller end of the stick out of the deal. Still having that love for our people that we still work with our people and we still try to aid and assist our people where we can aid and assist. We're so quick to discount and to cut one another off and to stop doing dealings with one another. And this white man, this system that the white man has put in place has oppressed you for hundreds of years. Has oppressed you for hundreds of years. This white man votes, has put in office, has put in power a racist and a fascist. Every hand of love and every hand of compassion and everything else and intermingling and we still extend the hand of friendship. We still want to show them that we're non-threatening. How far has that gotten us? I forget the brother's name that was shot and murdered. Law abiding. Told the police officer, I have a gun, I have a permit, and he was executed. Castile. Brother, our dear brother Castile, I say, was executed in front of his woman and his child with every law. I don't want to hear about their laws. I don't want to hear about going before them and quoting their constitution or quoting their laws. That's only good for when we take it international, to tell the international world that we have tried to abide by what they say is equal opportunity and what they say in their Bill of Amendment or their Bill of Rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that every person is entitled to this, that's the only time that that's good when we go say that we've tried that. But we know as the people who are on the end of the billy club, the people who are on the other end of the barrel, the people on the other end of the tasers and the pepper sprays, we know that that's bullshit. We know that that is not true. We know that that is not written. It wasn't written for us, and nor is it practicing a sincerity for people of African descent. So that's the only thing that is good for if we think anything other than take a visit to the grave of the young men and women buried, buried by murderous police officers who enforce and uphold unjust laws of this nation, they're not meant for us. So these things should inspire and motivate us to self-determination, to want to break away from, to say, listen, how long do we have to beg in and sit in and cry in and whine in for you to get we don't even want, we just want to be treated like human beings. How long are you going to beg somebody to treat you like a grown man or a grown woman? How long are you going to beg someone that you're going to walk around with you? Black lives matter. My life matters. They don't give a damn. Your life don't mean nothing. 
Blacks don't mean nothing because you're not working together collectively. Now, if you are a nationalist, your life means something. Because if it didn't mean, at the very least, if it didn't mean, at the very, or at the most, if it didn't mean some physical reprisals or repercussions for the murder of us, if it didn't mean that, at the very least, it would mean economic boycotts. That's at the very least. They would say if they didn't at least fear us rising up physically against the injustices perpetrated against us as an African people, they would at very least fear economic boycotts. They would fear our pulling our black dollars. You would never find the Jewish man or woman spending a cent with anyone that sponsored Nazi Germany. Never, never, never. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Yet you and I, due to unaccountable spending, we'll spend with people that he's in Africa. We'll spend with people who support and back politicians who make laws specifically for you and I to spend time in privatized prisons. We don't think about it. We go by every good, good yum-yum. We won't even take the time to research this is what the revolutionary job is. We should at least be researching and try to get out there. This is not to say that all the people are going to participate. We don't look for that. But for those people who aren't aware, who are doing things just out of sure ignorance, but would like to do better, when they know better, they do better, then provide the information of these companies like the Koch brothers, these companies and businesses that support politicians who don't have our best interests at heart, who make laws that target that target us specifically, who have sponsored the Fraternal Order of Police, who have backed these things, accountable spending, accountability, but that's too much nationalism. It's too much like work. We'd rather sit around, get in our studies, study ancient Egypt, colonial Africa. We want to study that shit. We want to take on these grandiose names. It's easy. It's romanticism. It's escapism. It doesn't force us to face the problems or to address the problems that we're facing today. It doesn't force us to be accountable. It doesn't force us to look at the issues and to try to come up with some practical solutions. Nationalism means you have to do away with your own personal individual motives. You may have to work with people you personally don't particularly get along with. He or she may be brilliant. I know some brilliant people out there. I personally sometimes get very upset with them. But nonetheless, brilliant in their assessments and organizational skills. Nationalism calls for that. It calls for us to put our emotions to the side and our personal issues to the side or emotions to the side that don't inspire positivity or don't inspire empowerment and advancement. Nationalism will check misplaced egos. Not the ego. It's good to have an ego. I think everyone should have an ego. Everyone should have some self-pride, some worth in self. You should have that. But a misplaced ego, misplaced pride is not advantageous for us as a race of people. So nationalism holds the so-called leaders to accountability. It forces us to have to look at our ill doings. It forces us to have to work collectively 
and sometimes we may have to hear things about ourselves we don't particularly care to hear. But for the sake, it's black nationalism puts the well-being of the masses of African people are self-gratification. And we will begin to, once the work is done, once the work is done or the work is starting to be done, we will, when we become revolutionized, when we become, when the mindset becomes a nationalist mindset, we will begin to find gratification in the advancement and the upliftment and the empowerment of African people. Isn't that the true gratification? Isn't that the true success? Isn't that the black paradise, the black heaven, the black Jannah, the black nirvana? Whatever your religion may be, whatever that blessed place you go to, a place where you and I are empowered, where you don't have to fear for your life, where you're not scrounging and hustling every day, just Bible issues, but then there comes a point in time where we must get past surviving and begin to thrive. Isn't that what it's about? We must begin to thrive. So we have to get out of these feelings of feeling that something is wrong with black nationalism. Something is wrong with putting your race first. Why are you the only ones that feel like that? Why are you the only ones that feel like that? There's nothing wrong with putting your people first. Having a preference. I have no problem having a preference for African people. And it's billions of us over here. So I don't have to, if the white man and the black man are there, I'm going to go to the black man. If that black man can't do it, I'm going to go to another black man. If that other black man can't, I will scour the earth. And when I just can't find one, I'm like, all right, Mr. White Man, I guess I got to let you do it. You say you know how to plunge, you say you know how to fix cars, I guess I got to let you do it. But we quick. The white privilege and white supremacy, the American ideology, the American system has told us that white is right, so we will automatically first do that. I don't take my card, no niggas. We got to check us down to the most minute way of thinking. And it takes work because you must be, to be a black nationalist, ever vigilant, even down to the penny you spend. Even down to the penny you spend. You must be ever vigilant, constantly checking and rechecking yourself to make sure that everything you do is about empowering African people. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. We all find ourselves slipping at times, leaning to what's convenient. Sometimes it's a little a little difficult to find that brother and sister, to find that store, to find what you need. So we we do it as a matter of convenience. We lean to this and we lean to that. But the nationalists should be never tiring. Once they come back to the understanding of what's right and exact, what's proper, they must rectify that behavior, change that behavior, and go the extra mile. And if we don't do it, then it will never it will never begin to spread amongst the masses of people. We can't sit here and blame the masses of people and talk about what black people are not going to do amongst the general public, the masses of people, and those of us that are calling ourselves conscious or those of us that call ourselves revolutionary. Don't first implement that. 
we don't practice it first. And it's not an overnight process. It's not an overnight uh, thing. It is a constant, constant struggle. Now, shouts, I got to get shouts out to my Jersey chapter for the LYM program, the Liberating Young Minds program. And when I say program, I mean program. Every Wednesday, consistently, from Swahili, I begin to teach the political education classes. Now we have an archery class for the um, um, Little Bobby Hutton Archery Club. Programming, like Frederick Douglass said, it's easier to raise children than repair broken men at times. So we begin to start to instill these things in our children, the need for nationalism, and not just the need, the obligation of nationalism in these children, that you don't have a choice. It's not you're selecting to come over to this. It's not like we don't, our children don't have to go through what we went through. They don't have to say, I select to be conscious. I'm coming to over to this. I'm accepting this way of life. When we begin to implement it and instill it in our children, comes their nature. And this is how black nationalism will become successful. And this is the only way that black nationalism will become successful. We begin to take it to that level. I appreciate everyone for listening to the show. Tune in next week. I'm sorry I wasn't with you last week. I've been traveling, you know, with everything that's going on. And I'm sure that all of you can relate that it has been imperative. Organizing has been the order of the day. I encourage all our progressive revolutionary groups to continue to organize, keep up the good work that I've been seeing uh, them us attempting as a people. Man, keep up the good work. You're in my prayers. You have my support. And I leave you, as I always greet you, African power to an African people and black power. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151. One sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence. Who I'm gon' body this hood politics, acknowledge it. Leave bodies chopped up in garbage. Seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. One Money I duck, could it be my time is up with my luck? I got up, the cops shot again. Bus stop glass burst, a fiend drops a Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit, this is my hood, I'm a rat. To the death of it, to everybody, come on. Little niggas is grown, hood rats. Don't abortion your wound, we need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die.
All I need is one blunt, one page, and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots from twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six winners to you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.